second Bible reading is from Titus 2, verses 11 to 15, on page uh, 1030. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Keep your Bibles open at Titus chapter 2, verse 11, and let's pray as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's word. Father, your words to us are life-giving and they're good. And so we pray that you would feed us by your word now. Holy Spirit, would you prepare us to hear, to believe, and be changed so that you would be magnified in our hearts and in our lives. We pray this for your glory. Amen. This is one of the most glorious passages in the New Testament. The question for us this morning is, how do we change? How do we change? How are you and I going to change to be more like the people God wants us to be? How are you and I going to change to obey God more, to serve God more, to become more like Jesus? How are we going to change? Now, here's one strategy. Here's one strategy to change. I could get up here and I could say to you all, just be better. Just try harder. Come on. Keep, keep trying to obey God. Do your best. Just read the Bible. Do what it says. Pull your socks up. Get your act together. You can do it. Just try. Now, that's not very motivating. <laughs> I was speaking to someone this, uh, last week, and um, she's got a teenage daughter. And what she said terrifies me, the idea of having a teenager. Um, her daughter said to her, Mom, the more you tell me to do stuff the less I want to do it. You see, those kinds of commands, just do it, just try harder, you can do it, it doesn't really change us from the inside. It doesn't go deep. It doesn't change our motivations. It doesn't change our attitude. No, what we need if we're going to really change and grow as Christians is something deeper. And that's what we have in this passage. If we want to change in the present, we've got to look backwards and we've got to look forwards. Backwards and forwards. Firstly, look backwards at the first appearing of Jesus. There's two appearings in this passage. The word appearing comes up twice. Firstly, we look backwards to the first appearing of Jesus, his life, his death, and resurrection. And there we see grace. And secondly, we look forwards to the second appearing of Jesus. And there we see glory. Grace and glory. And you and I right now, 2023, we live in the middle of those two appearings, when Jesus first appeared and when he will second appear. 
And what we're meant to do if we're going to grow is to have that perspective. I want to ask you, do you have that perspective? Do you think about your life in light of the past, looking backwards, and in light of the future when Jesus returns? I can tell you, I'm normally just thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch, how I'm going to get the kids ready for daycare. Maybe you're thinking about how you're going to pay your mortgage or how you're going to get your workload done. We often don't stop and think about this big perspective. Grace in the past, glory in the future. Grace and glory are like the engine that drives the Christian life. Tim Chester says this. I think it's on the screen. He says, there is both a push and pull in Christian living. We are pushed from behind by the wonder of grace and we are pulled forward by the hope of glory. Grace in the past, glory in the present, the engine of the Christian life. That's how we change. And so I've got three points this morning. Grace, godliness, and glory. Let's look at the first one. Let's look backwards. Grace. It's there in verse 11. Look in your Bibles, verse 11. The Apostle Paul says to Pastor Titus on the island of Crete, he says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That word grace is one of the most beautiful things about being a Christian. Grace is God's undeserved kindness. It's the fact that you and I deserved judgment. We've rebelled against God. We've offended him. We've turned our back. We deserve condemnation. And yet, he gives us the opposite. He forgives us. He lavishes upon us his mercy, his kindness, his grace, his forgiveness, eternal life. That's grace. It's the opposite to our culture. Our culture, we love cancel culture right now, don't we? Someone does something wrong and we silence them. They're done. They're over. They're deplatformed. And they may even say sorry. But normally it's too late. They're gone. Cancelled. Well, thank God that he's not a cancel culture God. (laughs) Because God, no matter what we have done to offend him, no matter how shameful our lives have been, he is ready to forgive and lavish upon us his grace and love. That's grace. And this verse says that the grace of God has appeared. What does that mean, appeared? I mean, In the Old Testament, God's grace was always there. It's not like grace just appeared when Jesus came. The Old Testament is filled with God's kindness and his grace. But when Jesus came, grace had a face. When Jesus came, grace had a face. We saw grace in bodily form. We saw God's grace in Jesus' birth, that God would lower himself and come amongst us and be with us. We saw God's grace in Jesus' life as he healed people and showed compassion on people. We saw God's grace most of all in the cross where he died in our place for our sins to bring us forgiveness and everlasting life. And it says here, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation. If you want to know how to get saved, the answer is not be a good person. The answer is not do good things or have a good track record. The answer is grace. 
And perhaps you've been striving and striving, thinking that God's going to accept you because you're in church this morning, because you've got Christian parents, because you're better than your colleagues or a better person than your neighbor or more moral. That is not the message of Christianity. Grace is what saves. And look at that last bit of that, this amazing verse. This would be a good verse to memorize, by the way. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. All people. Now, this is not saying that everybody in the end is going to get saved. It's not saying that in the end everyone's going to get to heaven, God saves everyone. You only have to read other parts of the Bible to see that's not the case. But what this is saying is that God's grace is on offer to everyone. God has done everything necessary to save everyone, no matter what you've done. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that God longs to save you? His arms are open. He sacrificed his son for you. His grace is enough. Have you come to Jesus? Have you accepted his grace? Have you received his forgiveness and his love? The grace of God has appeared looking back in the past for all people. That's the past. Let's look at the present. Let's look at the present age. Look at verse 12, the very next verse. It starts with the word it, which is referring back to the grace we just talked about. So verse 12, this grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. One of my favorite musicals is Les Mis. Anyone seen it or read the book? It's fantastic. When I was in high school, I started in Lamez, just, you know, a little, I'll let you guess who I was. Um, I loved, I love that musical. And the main character is Jean Valjean. And he has his life transformed by grace. Is his life transformed by grace. He is let out of prison and he stays the night at a priest's home. And he instead of responding with thanksgiving to the priest, he steals some of the priest's silver utensils, valuable to him. And he makes a runner for it. The following day, the police find him. They bring him before the priest. And you would expect the priest to go, send him back to prison. Send him back to jail. But instead, the priest does something incredible. The priest says, I gave him those silver utensils. And also says to Valjean, why don't you take the silver candlesticks that are on the mantle? They're for you as well. Now Valjean is shocked. He deserved judgment. Instead, he's given grace. And he walks out of there and he says, my soul belongs to God above. His life is transformed. His heart is softened. And he dedicates his life to doing good. Good for others. That is grace. It transforms our life. It transforms our heart from the inside. You see there, verse 12, it says that grace teaches us. That word teach is like the word train or instruct. It's like when you become a Christian, you enroll in the school of divine grace. And you're a student in the school of divine grace. 
and grace is teaching you all your classes and growing you and changing you. That's what grace does. If you've really been struck by God's love, if you really understand how much he gave up for you at the cross, you will want to respond by obeying him, by serving him, and by living a godly life. And that's what grace does. Grace changes us. Grace causes us, moves our hearts to serve and obey him. See, it's often said, oh, okay, so we're saved by grace, not by what we do. So therefore, can't we just live however we want? Can't we just do whatever? Well, yeah, we're saved by grace, not by works, but grace teaches, grace changes. If we understand grace, it changes how we live. You see there it says it teaches us to say no, no to ungodliness and worldly passions. What sin in your life is God calling you to say no to? Perhaps it's greed, always wanting to fill your heart and satisfy your heart with whatever you can buy, the latest new thing. Perhaps it's lust, and God's calling you to say no, to turn away. Perhaps it's harsh talking or gossip, whatever it might be. God's calling us to fight it, to say no. And instead to say yes to godly living. That's what repentance is. It's making a U-turn. It's turning from our old way of life, turning from sin and turning to godliness. Now, this is different from self-effort. This is different from just saying, try harder. You can do it. Just say no. Just say yes. Because grace is the one. Grace is what's teaching us. Last night, I was talking to a missionary a missionary who used to be in our church, and she's serving in Peru. And she was telling me about how the pastors there always preach moralism. All of the sermons that she hears, there's no grace. It's just do this, do that. Otherwise, you may not be a good Christian. Otherwise, you may not get to heaven. So many churches miss this. Grace is what teaches us. Grace is what changes us. I remember when I was a kid, and I'd get given a toy that was electronic, a toy that would flash or a toy that would move, and I'd be so excited to open it. So I'd take it out of the box, I'd open it, and I'd press the button, and my heart would sink because it didn't light up, it didn't move. And then I'd see on the box... Batteries not included. You know, remember that moment? Batteries not included. There it was. It was meant to do these exciting things, but the power wasn't there. Now, if Christianity was just do this, do that, do it in your own strength, come on, try harder, that would be the gospel without batteries included. But when God calls you to himself, the gospel comes with batteries included. Because you're called to change. You're called to obey, but he gives you the grace to do it. He gives you his Holy Spirit to empower you. 
His grace changes your heart. The gospel comes with batteries included. Often we think that, you know, God saves us by grace, and then he says, right, you do the rest on your own. Over to you now. No. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to say yes. We're not only delivered by, from the guilt of sin, but freed from the power of sin. The poem I love, it says this, Run and work the law commands, yet finds me neither feet nor hands. But sweeter news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and lends me wings. If it's just the law, if it's just commands, there's no power there. But the gospel bids us fly and lends us wings. Grace changes us. Grace strengthens us. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like that fitness plan you sign up for and hope to see results in two days' time. This is a lifelong process of God's grace changing our hearts, us responding in joyful obedience. It's lifelong. As we read his word, as we pray, as we come to church, it's lifelong. But it does mean God's changing you. I wonder if you've ever fallen into the trap of thinking, there's no way I can change. It's not my personality. It's part of my upbringing. I can't change. It's too deeply rooted. The temptation is too strong. Well, that's a lie. You can change, but not on your own, but by the grace of God. We've looked backwards at the appearing of Jesus, grace. We've looked at the present, godliness. And now lastly, let's look to the future, glory. Let's look at the next verse, verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Friends, when Jesus first appeared, it was humble. And many did not recognize him. But when he appears again, it will be glorious. Every eye will see, every tongue confess that he is Lord. And you and I will be overcome with emotion. We will be overcome with joy as we see his glory. It says here, it's the glory of our great God and Savior. If you ever want a clear verse that shows that Jesus is God, this is one of them. Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. And this verse says we are waiting for that day. Not a, not a passive wait, like when you order your coffee and you're waiting for the barista to make it and to pass the time you're scrolling through Instagram. That's not the wait it's talking about. It's talking about an active wait, an expectant wait, a longing for Jesus to return. You see, when you know the future, 
it changes how you live today. When you know that Jesus is coming back, it should cause you to live a godly life. My wife, Christine, is watching Downton Abbey at the moment. Any Downton Abbey fans? I don't like it. It's just too melodramatic for me. Um, But I did enjoy this week. So she she got out of place on Amazon Prime and lost which episode she was up to. And so she was kind of reading the descriptions of the episodes and accidentally read a massive spoiler (laughs) that some guy was going to die. So she eventually found her episode, but she was so furious. How could they kill him off? Surely not. There's no way it's going to happen. But she knew what was coming. And so every episode she was watching and she was terrified. Is this it? Is this the moment? Is this when he's going to die? And then she saw the car coming around the corner and said, no, not a car crash, not a car crash, not a car crash. It was a car crash. She knew it was coming. And it just changed her whole experience of the show. And that's what happens. When you know what's coming, it changes your present. And for us as believers, we know how it's all going to end. We know how it's all going to wrap up. And gee, does it change how we live today. We live godly lives as we wait his return. Because look what it says about this Jesus we are waiting for. Verse 14, he gave himself for us. That incredible, he gave himself for us at the cross. He redeemed us from all wickedness. We were in slavery to sin and wickedness, and he freed us by his death on the cross. Isn't that incredible? So why would we go back to ungodliness? Why would we go back to wickedness when we've been freed? Earlier this month, my 18-month daughter got her head stuck between two poles uh, on our staircase. And Scott Monk wondered how long it would take for this to be a sermon illustration. The answer is three weeks. Um, she got her head stuck, and, and I had to use olive oil to get her head out. Like, it was really stuck. Lather it up. Um, got it out of there. And she was a little bit distressed, but after a while, all was okay. But after about you know, 10, 20 minutes, she walked back over there, And I know my daughter, and she was seriously considering trying it again. (laughs) It's a great example, isn't it, of us as Christians? Because we've been freed from enslavement to sin, rescued, redeemed, and yet we, we walk right back into slavery. We run right back into the sin that we've been forgiven of. But this verse says we've been purified, washed clean. We're a people that are his very own. That's who we are. You belong to Jesus. And so we should be eager to do what is good. Are you eager to do good? (laughs) That's the Christian life. Eager, zealous to do good. Now, again, I've got to keep saying this. It's not to earn the approval of God. You know, You've got to get the order right here. Legalism says what we do leads to who we are. So if you do good, then you'll be a child of God. But grace says who we are leads to what we do. You see the order there? 
We are a people who are his very own, and so we're eager to do what is good. Gee, that order is important. Are you on fire for the kingdom? Are you on fire for God, for for obeying him, for serving him, for putting your sin to death, for pursuing godly living? Zealous and eager for good works. If we want to change, if we want to right, look back to the first appearing of Jesus and his grace. Look forward to the final appearing of Jesus and his glory, how magnificent it will be. And when we've looked back and looked forward, we can see the present and the godliness we're called to live. The grace of Jesus and the glory of Jesus spur us on to godly living. Grace, godliness, glory. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. We live in light of yesterday and tomorrow. And so, church, let us be eager to do good works, remembering God's grace and longing for his glory to be revealed. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your undeserved kindness towards us and that you have loved us and saved us. Help us, Lord, to serve you and honour you, to be eager to do good works. And would you change us and train us and instruct us by your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.